Today's episode is brought to you by Curve, a card and digital wallet service. You'll be hearing more about Curve later on, but for now, let's get into today's interview. I am joined once again by Andy Constan of Damped Spring Advisors. Andy, great to have you back. Jack, it's a pleasure. So Andy, you've worked with some of the most successful macro investors in the world, but a lot my audience already knows that. I want to get right to it, Andy. I, I've known you as someone who, you know, you, you like to be long because over the long time horizon, people who are long win and people who are short uh, lose. However, it seems to me that as the uh, as of this timing of uh, January 11th, it seems to me that you're you're kind of leaning on the bearish side. Would that be fair to say, Andy? Well, uh, I'm short everything, so I guess you know, in in some sense, that's bearish. Um, but I think it's very important to understand what that really means and how much my uh, what my bet is depending on and how I think that all plays out. And I would say it's it's a it's a medium view. It's not a pounding the table view at this stage. Um, but yeah, I think assets are going to struggle. Um, now, what's fascinating is we're in a position in which, um, at least in the U.S., the economic picture is is there's debate, useful debate on what the the next year will bring. Whether it'll be a soft landing, uh, a, um, a a non landing where the Fed needs to do more, or whether the Fed's already done enough and we're bound for a recession. And I'm not really taking a view on that in my positioning. Um, in that directly, in that I don't want to choose right now. I don't know how to, and I don't want to choose um, whether we're um, in a recession is imminent, um, which means early, you know, in the next six months. Um, or if uh, the Fed's going to need to do more because the economy remains um, strong, and so I'm just not expressing that view in a in a direct way um, because bonds will do well in one circumstance and stocks will do well in another circumstance, and um, my overall view is just assets won't do well versus cash. And why is your view? Why are you short everything? Why do you think stocks and bonds will underperform cash? So in both of the extremes, so there's the soft landing, and that's where I lose. And in the soft landing, the economy um, fall, growth falls to, let's call it trend, maybe slightly below trend with some unemployment, but not a lot. Um, nothing that anyone would call a recession. And inflation magically um, goes to target rapidly. Um, and we're going to get a CPI tomorrow, which undoubtedly could actually have a negative headline print, which, you know, is a data point. We can come back to whether I think data points are useful. They're generally noisy. Um, but a soft landing is one in which the central bank um, can go to neutral in terms of accommodation. And that would generate from Presumably, we're in a period in which, um, uh, and it's unclear about this, but presumably we're in a position in which um, financial conditions and um, um, interest rates, et cetera, are restrictive. And the, the process of going from restrictive to neutral, um, I don't call it a pivot, but call it whatever you will, um, should be bullish all assets, and that would hurt me. So my trade would lose money in a soft landing. Um, but in a hard landing, in a recession, uh, where people 
um, lose their jobs and in which um, people struggle to pay back the debt they owe and uh, because their incomes are down, because spending is down and because one person's spending is another person's income, which also applies to the federal government regarding tax receipts and et cetera. Um, money gets tight. And when money gets tight, assets need to be sold to raise money. And obviously money's tight for anyone. And the buyer of those assets demands a concession, which is a risk premium expansion, um, a multiple contraction, if you're thinking about equities. Um, and so in a recession, bonds do very well. But equities, you know, equities uh, earnings expectations are for, you know, right now between 225 and 230 for 2023. And then frankly, the recession is expected to be quite brief, if at all, because um, 2024 earnings are a 5% growth rate and 2025 earnings are, you know, I think the aggregate growth rate over that two years is close to 15%. So there's um, quite a bit of optimism regarding earnings. And, you know, I've looked at past recessions and a 20% drawdown from year over year on year over year earnings is not unheard of. And, you know, that would obviously cause stocks to fall quite a bit um, if we were to have a recession. And I believe that stocks would underperform more than bonds would um, go up. And so my position would make money, you know, because financial conditions have tightened. The same thing applies to higher for longer. Um, in a higher for longer environment, stocks could actually do okay as nominal growth stays high. Um, and um, that nominal growth supports earnings that could actually surprise on the upside. Um, and um, growth can surprise on the upside and inflation can surprise on the upside. All three of those things are, um, two of those things are very bad for bonds. Very bad, couldn't be worse. Um, and at the same time, the Fed would then begin um, hiking more to get into back to restrictive conditions. And that would be a tailwind on all assets, oh, sorry, a headwind on all assets, including equities. So while equities might see an earnings um, increase in a, in a higher for longer environment, um, bonds would sell off, which means the discount rate would go up for those earnings, which means the multiple would contract and financial conditions would tighten, which would result in further multiple contraction. So I think I win on those two, uh, you know, on those two destinations. And there might be other destinations. And I think when you get into other destinations like, you know, higher for longer, but weak economic growth, you can sort of think about the relative performance of assets, but you don't get away from this tightening financial conditions. So, there are many outcomes for an economy, but in a recession, things tighten regardless of the relative inflation or growth. And uh, in a higher for longer environment, regardless of the relative amounts of growth and inflation, the Fed tightens. And so it's really only the soft landing in which I think assets can outperform cash. Because remember, cash is earning 4.5%. And so when I short an asset, I get to receive 4.5% on, on the proceeds. And so now my bogey um, is if assets rally 3% over the course of the next year, I still make money. Mm. Uh, so, so those uh, two uh, sort of bullish scenarios, one is a soft landing where 
the you know the economic plane lands very gently and you know nominal growth goes down and inflation goes down but without going into recession then right. there's the pivot case where there is a somewhat of a mild recession and the fed pivots but it's not that bad of a recession so in both of those environments you call those the blue pill paths the blue pill scenarios that the market is currently pricing in right. uh they're the red pill matrix thing yeah, um, yeah. Sorry about that. It's great. I, I love it. Is uh, the quote overdid a case, which is you know a deep recession where stocks perform very poorly, bonds might do well, um, and then the higher er for longer er case, which is a, a phrase you coined, where the Fed has to stay high, and you know we might get five and a half percent Fed funds, might even six percent. So why do you think that the blue pill scenarios are the likelihood that they're happening are less than the, the market is pricing in? Well, I mean, that's the question, isn't it? Um, so um, my work in terms of where this trade breaks even in terms of – and you can just pencil out. I, I penciled it out. I may include that in a future post or, or Damp Spring report. But I penciled out the outcomes. And you look at those outcomes of each of those things for where the S&P would go, where the um, – um, bond market would go, and you look at the returns, and it appears that you have to get about 30% probability of a soft landing based on current pricing with that scenario analysis. Now, you can do it in a far more sophisticated way, but just for the, your listeners, just pencil it out. Look at what you think bonds would do in a recession scenario, what you'd make in bonds, If you, sorry, if you're short, what you'd lose in bonds versus what you'd make in equities. Look in your, uh, there's only three scenarios and you pick all three and then you see what um, would result in um, no expected return for either any, for, for that portfolio on a probabilistic basis. And so that's a simple exercise that anyone can do. And, you know, my rough number is about 30%. Now the question is, why, is that a, a good number or is that a bad number? And soft landings are extremely rare in history. Um but I think the reason why I'm, um, I think it's lower than 30% is primarily due to the forces that are at play. Um, this isn't just a normal landing where uh, the economy is weakening, the Fed is tightening, and, um, they can, and, they, and their tools are particularly responsive to um, changes in the economic climate, meaning... We're not. We're in an economy that's a goods-heavy economy that, where there's lots of borrowing to finance, and you know where their tools are very responsive. We're not in that world, and at the same time, the size of the fiscal spends, the size of the monetary accommodation, to me represent you know just bigger forces that are going to swing the damp spring model of price discovery to you know, more volatilely. And actually, I think that's great because that more, we still don't know. And so now the swings are actually creating trading opportunities until it's resolved. Um, but those forces are very large. Um, and I think what's <clears throat> missing from other um, soft landings is it's really uncoordinated globally. Um, with China reopening being the extreme case where they're just, you know, they're where we were in summer of 21 when we first heard there might be a vaccine. Uh, we were all at home. And, um, you know, that coupled with stimulus that subsequently happened and that the 
PBOC seems willing to do, and they sort of have to because they have the housing um, le- deleveraging that they need to overcome, um, is very different than where we are. And Europe is somewhere between there where you know their tightening cycle has just begun um, and they are not restrictive. They are still stimulative. Um, and so um, those forces, you know, we're, we're a pretty insulated economy with, you know, our GDP being, you know, 90, 85% or so domestic. Um, but those forces will make um, capital flows from asset to assets um, a challenge to deal with while all these other pressures are at play. And so I guess what I just say is that they may stick the landing. and um, But I think along the way, even if they do stick the soft landing, um, you're going to have lots of opportunity for um, trading in and out of this type of position. And so, you know, that's really my agenda. Right. So the, the uh, that's one of the blue pill scenarios. Let's talk about the red pill scenarios, the higher higher er for longer er where the fed just keeps rates at five percent or or above that uh as inflation is really sticky in that scenario and then the deep recession scenario uh i think in the higher for longer you, you maybe want to be short both is, is what we were saying and in the de- de- recession one it's good to be short stocks and and long bonds uh how are you weighing the v- various probabilities of that given that you said that the odds of a soft landing you think are less than 30 percent? i think that's more of a coin flip um, but frankly, um, I think it's also possible that um, the market is favoring one. And in fact, I think they're f- currently favoring um, a uh, deep recession. Um, the reason why I say that is um, bonds have outperformed stocks lately, um, but more relevantly, the cuts in um, relatively quickly in Fed funds over the course of the next, um, call it 18 months after the um, the peak, um, and the peak itself of uh, short-term rate path um, are both um, very bearish as it relates to um, the economy. Um, currently, terminal rate is 5% and uh, the Fed has a higher rate penciled out. And um, after the terminal rate is hit by, between um, June of 2023 and um, Dece of 2024, uh, almost 200 basis points of cuts are priced in. And that's a substantive cut taking us back down to 3% on Fed funds um, by um, the end of 2024, which is well ahead of the SEP. Now, you know, no one believes the Fed, but I've done this a long time, and I haven't seen the lack of, of, of belief in the Fed um, in a long, long time. Right. So, Andy, as you said, that the forward rate, uh, forward interest rates are pricing in the, the Fed gets to, I think, like 4.93%, so pretty much 5% in the spring of 2023. And then many, many cuts, I think 50 basis points of cuts by the end of 2023 and uh, 200 basis points by the end of 2024. So, 
what in what environment would the Fed cut by do eight rate cuts after hiking? Would it be just because you know Jay Powell wants to give a throw a bone to the bulls? No, yeah, it's because there's a deep recession, right? So so the the market is pricing sorry, in. I don't see a soft landing being um, something sorry? that would require such rapid price, um, rate cuts. You know we we don't want to get. Absolutely, I, I agree. I'm I'm saying the reason is it's saying like you know I think Neil Kashkari um, said oh well. Forward, uh, the, the basically the short-term yield curve inversion is because the market is is uh, you know believing in Fed credibility or our ability to fight inflation. But I'm saying no, it's it's a 200 basis point cut. Um, that that would be an, one in which a deep recession would require accommodative monetary policy. I, I sure think yeah. so. Um, anyway, I think that's a bet to make, and it you know yeah. to some extent it hedges my um, exposure to um, this this idea, because I think there's a, you know, it's obviously betting one direction. If you bet, for instance, that there are going to be fewer rate cuts, you're betting on a higher for longer, for sure. But it's also possible you're betting on a soft landing. So mm-hmm. it's sort of, you know, I like adding, opportunistically adding that to my book and have, um, where I bet against um, the number of cuts that are priced in. Um, because I think it, I can win on a soft landing, and I certainly don't mind having a trade that can win on a soft landing and win on a higher for longer, because then I have two wins on the higher for longer and neutral in the um, soft landing. Um, now, it's possible the soft landing is a rate cut, a substantive rate cut, Um but I don't. I think there's more to it. I think there's just extreme in the short end of the curve. There's extreme, um, and I think it's also classic in that for 40, 40 years now, um, inflation has come down rapidly, and the Fed has needed to stimulate. Um, and so I think people are playing. You know, Pimco said bonds are great right now because there's a recession coming. They might be right that there is a recession coming, but the idea that the that the Fed will pivot is the classical thinking of forty years of 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 being trained, and I'm just not so sure of that. Without significant recession, and how would you structure a trade in the short term interest rate world to structure that? If if, you, if uh, the curve is pricing more hikes and you think they'll go down, you just, you buy, you know, to your no, treasury uh, yields or like um, your dollar futures, something like that. But how in this, how do you structure a trade? Well, I'll tell you what the trade I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. The trade I'm doing is, and it's not perfect because there's an issue on what the terminal rate is. And if the terminal rate gets, well, anyway, let me tell you what it is. So the first thing is it's long SFRM3, um, which is the June SOFR three-month contract, and short SFRM uh, Z4, which is the 2024 December contract. And so that captures, right now it's trading about 190 negative. And so that captures mostly what I want. Uh, So there's a little bit of trick to it in that if you believe that the um, terminal rate is actually five and a half, um, it's possible that on that journey to five and a half, um, be, the the um, 
your long will actually lose money and your short won't go down because there'll still be a expectation of 3% two years from now because they overdid it. So there's a little bit of trick to it, but you know, that's the, that's the, what I'm doing because I, I think um, um, that risk is low. And would that trade, and, and by the way, for, for folks, if they you know, look this up, just so you know, a 97 basically means 3%. You just take 100 and you minus that. With three months, it's different because of the, the, the timing and everything. But you know, if, if, if someone told me that, it would save me a lot of, of, uh, of headache. Right. Um, right. dollar futures, SOFR futures are all roughly, Fed funds futures yeah. are all roughly, and there's some basis that mm-hmm. you have to deal with, but roughly the rate that you expect um, is equal to the price, um, a hundred minus the price. Right. And, um, you know, I don't, I think I have a perfect definition of, of carry, but my, my definition is, uh, you know, if you own a two year treasury note, you're getting paid 4%. If you want to short the two year treasury note, you have to pay 4%. If you want to go long a REIT, you get paid the dividends. If you want to go short it, you get paid the dividends. Is your trade right. of long a certain June, so for 2023 and short the December, 2024, I think, is that a, uh, positive carry or a negative carry position? And to what degree does that uh, depend on the curve? Well, it's a com- that's a complicated question. I think it's better to look at a um, trade that a lot of people are talking about now, which is, um, and we started the conversation with, which is curve steepeners and flatteners. And so if you think of a two-year at, what, 420 and a 10-year at, say, 360, um if you think that um, the 10-year rate is going to go up and the two-year rate is going to stay flat, so that would be a bear steepener. Did I get that right? You did. You did. Yeah. Um, in such a circumstance, you would want to short the 10-year note and buy the two-year note. And that trade would cost you in daily interest cost. Um, now there's there you have to there's financing and repo, which we're not going to get into. But um, the um, 10 year interest rate that you're paying because you're shorted is 3.6 and the two year rate is 4.2 that you're receiving. And so that has what would commonly be called um, positive carry. Um, and that's an interesting um, um hurdle now for buying long-term bonds versus keeping your money into your money. Because right now you have to, you forego 60 basis points of interest when you go out to, um, to the 10 year point on the curve. Um, and so um, in most environments, when you have an in a positively sloped yield curve, it pays you positive carry to be long long-term bonds and short short-term bonds, or financing overnight your reap on repo your short-term bond, and that doesn't exist right now. So there's a fairly big hurdle for investors to buy bonds. Now they've been there's been animal spirits and bonds have rallied, um, but it is a it is a hurdle that you have to be aware of. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying today's show. Just wanted to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Curve, a payment service that gives you power over your finances. The way it works is that Curve is an extra layer on top of your credit and debit cards that gives you additional cash back on the rewards that you're already earning. Curve Card has no foreign transaction fees and you can choose to earn your rewards in crypto. You don't have to, but you have the option. 
Curve Card also has a feature called Go Back in Time, where you can retroactively change the card used to buy an item after you made the purchase, up to 30 days after actually. A key concept in finance is optionality. When you have the option to do something, but you don't have to do something, this can be very valuable in finance as well as life. And optionality is exactly what Curve gives you to do with your wallet. So check out Curve to get $20 once you've downloaded the app and made your first transaction. Curve Card is powered by Hatch Bank. Terms and conditions apply. Now let's get back to the interview. Now, Andy, I want to get your thoughts on stocks. You know, they're valued based on the future cash flows, and obviously those profits go down in a recession. They're also uh, valued based on a discount rate, and that is, you know, the interest rate that's set uh, by by the Fed uh, to some degree. Uh, so it's a really complicated uh, valuation of many different ways. But what's your outlook on stocks and why? Yeah. So. Again, it's it comes down to knowing, um, which I don't, whether we're heading toward a recession or a um, or a higher for longer or a soft landing, and um, the dynamics at play, I think, are um, straight relatively straightforward. It's a combination of earnings, discount rate, and um, and uh, risk premium. Um, and um, in the um, the reason why I'm short equities is. For the same reason I'm short all assets is because I expect risk premiums to expand as um, a predominance of the scenarios indicate financial tightening. So that's a multiple issue, which is I don't expect multiples to um, expand. I expect them to contract. Um, and then there's the earnings. And I would say the dynamic on um, earnings is going to be a very interesting one, and not again, not what we've experienced in many, many decades, in which it's going to be a, t- a, a tug um, from weakening growth downward for earnings, but at the same time, nominal growth potentially remaining strong and down a level, um, top line inflation um top being at a different time and place than input cost inflation and so that'll have a um you know that'll really have an impact on um margins and top line so in a higher for longer scenario i could imagine um labor is actually less tight than people think and so wage inflation is um, weak, uh, is, is, is not going to continue to grow as quickly as it has. And CPI uh, will stay high, r- resulting in high top line, resulting in higher margins, resulting in higher earnings on an absolute basis. And that's quite bullish for stocks. But um, I can Im- so I can imagine that scenario. I don't think that's what's playing out. Um, if you look at Top line inflation as over the last three um, months, um, you know, we're sort of flatlining. Um, are we dipping? Maybe we're even dipping, but we're certainly flatlining on top line inflation, which should be a um, isn't isn't creating uh, revenue growth simply due to inflation, um, while. Uh, Wage inflation continues to be fairly robust and not looking like it's turning in a me- in a meaningful way. It's still it's many hundreds of basis points higher than uh, CPI inflation, and 
What I call that is that we're, we've left the sweet spot where CPI inflation was in excess of wage and input cost inflation. And so that was good for top line, great for top line because you're having top line inflation and also good for margins because your costs are not keeping up with your, um, your ability to raise prices. Um, and I think that was the story of 2022 on why stocks outperform bonds fairly substantially for most of the period um, is that. Um, bonds don't have a top line. <laughs> right. Right. Bonds are pure inflation. And so you're going to you're going to feel it when you get inflation and it's only one kind. Um, and so uh, that that play is interesting. And, and that's why I say there's probably shades of gray on a higher for longer scenario, one that can be very bullish for stocks. I don't think that's what's happening based on, as I said, the we're leaving the sweet sweet spot. In fact, I think we've probably left the sweet spot as CPI is lower than is now lower than wage inflation. Um, but we could return to that sweet spot. Um, and, um, then there's the, uh, alternative, which is margins get compressed, but top line still remains relatively robust. And then you could meet expectations. Um, and then you start getting into the discount rate and well, in all cases, the discount rate matters and the discount rate in a higher for longer scenario with the four and a half percent 30 year bond, say, or, you know, something 50 to 100 basis points more than we're at, um, you know, that's going to have that's going to leave a mark on equity valuations um, as well. And so the higher for longer case is bullish for equities because of top line. That's pretty much it. Um, it's headwinds are um, tightening discount rate and um, costs. And, you know, I add up that up to still stocks, you know, in my, in my higher for longer scenario, I think stocks can be 4,200 pretty easily. Are they going to be 4,500? No, that's sort of my soft landing scenario. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, again, I, I recommend you pencil those things out on where each of those scenarios are and you'll find um, sort of implied odds based on that simple calculation. And right now, to me, the odds of um, so what what when you take more than just that penciling out, and you look at the uh, priced in um, the outperformance of bonds over stocks lately, the priced in uh, cuts in uh, the short term interest rate market, um, and um, you the market is favoring recession, not favoring higher for longer, and liberally believing in um, a soft landing. And so, you know, if, the, if, you're, if you like to fade things, higher for longer is probably the better fade than a recession. Recession seems hard to fade right now. Right. So you've got some excellent charts from your report on the damn spring that uh, with your permission, we can put up, put up screen in, in post-production. Analysts, the, the street, Wall Street, forecasting a 5% growth in earnings so 229 dollars per share of an s p and the s p 500 now trading at 39.20 as we record uh just uh close to noon on the 11th of january uh so that's a forward price to earnings ratio of about 17 and you know, all assets are in competition with each other so if interest rates are let's say the 10-year uh is now at four percent it's it's lower but let's just say it is that's a price to earnings ratio of 25 but then you have to have a little premium on top of that 
that's an equity risk premium. And you're saying that that too is historically low. So, so you're saying that either the, the, the if uh, uh, earnings grow as much as analysts think, or even even more so, that will be an environment in which rates will be high. Therefore, uh, the comp- competition from other assets will be high. Therefore, the forward price to earnings ratio should be lower. So it's kind of a it's a win lose. There's you know there's there's no there's no uh, way for stocks to to win on on both ways. I, I, I not no way, not no way. But I mean, chance. I think I think I think winning you know a five percent rally this year in stocks from here is, you know, that's a win. Um, it outperforms cash. It's earning 4%. It's not great. I think you need a soft landing to actually have a, you know, a really robust year in stocks, but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that's the dynamic. I think you can't expect a significant stock rally with bonds, um, the discount rate rising and with the fed needing to, um, um, hike more. Uh, you just can't, I can't get there, despite you know pretty good earnings. Right, you you've got a chart of the current risk premium for stocks, and it's got a red line. It's pretty complicated. It took me it took me a second, it took me a minute right. to understand it. Uh, basically, the if earnings per share fall by ten percent, then the risk premium will have to be lower because um, just that the forward earnings are are less, so the, the the valuation will be will be less. So yeah, what is the current how would you ascertain? How do you, you relative to history, the current level of equity risk premium? How how rich or cheap are stocks now, and how rich or cheap would they be if earnings per share fell ten percent? I would say that, um, and I've tweeted this a number of times to to much derision, um, that the risk premium priced into markets right now using two twenty five using a thirty year bond yield that's current spot. Um, is tighter, meaning uh, multiples are higher um, than they were um, before COVID. And so, um, you know, that's quite amazing that um, risk premiums are, that means risk stocks are richer than they were before COVID by a couple of hundred S&P points, roughly. The same applies to where equities were at the end of this last year of of 2021. In um, December of 2021, equities were actually cheaper than they are today by a couple of hundred basis, a couple of hundred S&P points. And since then, we've had nothing but tightening and quantitative, uh, both raising of rates and quantitative tightening. So that would indicate just from a risk premium standpoint, which by and large is the result of monetary tightness and a little bit in volatility. And, and volatilities are about the same as they were before then. Um, that would indicate that conditions have actually eased in the course of, the, course of the last year. Now that's possible if the economy is strong because it's all relative, easing and tightening of financial conditions is all relative to the strength of the economy. And um, the economy has been strong. So it makes some sense that um, financial conditions have eased along with a strong economy, but there's been all these forces that the Fed has thrown at the market to be offsetting that type of strength. And yet equities are richer than they were a year ago at 4,800.
because earn, equity risk premium is relative to a, a risk for your asset or like a, a treasury bond, because rates have gone up so much, uh, you know, most, so, most overused phrase in finance, but like stocks are like the, you know, the cleanest shirt in the laundry or what, whatever. So they're, they are relative to bonds more cheap, uh, more expensive than uh, a year ago, let alone three years ago. But that's just because bonds have, have sold off by such a tremendous amount, right? Yep. And that's something um, um, that that would happen. Now, part of that is because there has been a sort of, and you know, when you do something relative to bonds, well, bonds have a risk premium too. And I don't want to um, spin in out of control on this, but it's possible that bonds are so unattractive to people, long-term bonds, because of their once in multiple centuries, worst performance in history, um, that bonds are actually, um, you know, for sale relative to equities. And that's part of the reason why equities look rich, mm -hmm. because bonds are just so cheap because no one wants them. And that reflects in their relative risk premiums. Um, but I think it's much more simple than that. Um, you look at um, the amount of tightening that's been done and um, the impact it's had on the economy. And I think we're just in a situation where equities are just on the rich side. Um, and um, you know, if gun to my head, what would be my favorite trade? It would be short equities. I don't happen to have that trade on, but that would be, uh, you know, I have, I'm short everything, which is different than being just short equities. Um, yeah, you're, you're short equities in addition to being short other things. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. short equities, but I'm short bonds and stocks and all uh, and gold and all those other things because I don't want to, equities will work for sure as a short in a recession and they won't work in a soft landing or a higher for now or um, longer. But so I don't want to make that bet because I think everyone's making that bet at this stage right now, to be honest. I think there's, as we've said, the recession is um, priced into many markets, not not equity markets per se, but priced into many markets. Um, and so I think it's fairly well expected. So now the question is, do you want to make that bet? And I, I just don't know. So I'm not making that a directional bet on a pure directional bet on equities. The trade to have on, if you were really thinking a recession, is long bond short equities. Mm -hmm. But I'm short both. Andy, you've got a chart of the forward earnings per share estimates uh, drawdowns from peaks. This is not actual estimates, but it's uh, sorry, not actual earnings, but it's estimates of those things. And you can see during 2008, a huge trough, close to a 45% drawdown. In 2020, a 30% drawdown close to it. So these happen you know, during recessions. And the bigger the recession, the, the bigger the drawdown in forward estimates. Right now, we're close to a 5% drawdown from forward earnings, meaning that there's a, they're only 5% lower than where they were you know, at, at their absolute top. Um, yep. where, yeah, where, where do you think this goes? And do you, do you have a model or you know, an informal way of judging how, how low it might go? As I said, it depends. Um, in a recession, it's going to go down 20%. That's sort of run-of-the-mill recession. In a severe one, it could go down more. But, you know, we, don't, we may not be in a recession yet. <laughs> Earnings could grow this year. They could beat estimates. They will beat estimates in two scenarios, a soft landing or a 
inflationary, a high nominal growth environment. Um, and so from an earnings standpoint, it, it still is, yes, if we're headed toward a recession, we're going to have a much more, a much larger drawdown in earnings than has happened to date. And if we're not, they're going to beat. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it's this is a complicated time in the U.S. I, it's just not clear to me that, um, and people are very have very strong opinions on whether we're heading to a recession or heading to a, um, um, you know, a, a longer term inflationary period, um, for very good reasons. And it's uh, it's it's hard to know. And so I'm just choosing not to. Right. So the U.S. is is very complicated, hard to tell. Are there any other parts of the world, maybe Europe or China, where the macro picture is clear? And then also, yeah, share your thoughts on this divergence where we have where it's not like China and the U.S. are growing together. Uh, you know, ch- China is at the, maybe at the bottom of its economic cycle and you know, growth is ahead, whereas the U.S., things are a lot more murky. Yeah. So I wrote in on, um, I guess, mid-November. Um, it's on my website at dampspring.com. Um, a DSR about the Great Convergence, which I think is probably the trade in 2023 in the U.S. And that Great Convergence is bonds have underperformed massively equities, and that that some of that underperformance will uh, result in um, a bounce, uh, an outperformance, a convergence between those two paths. Um, but that's the U.S. and that's and I've described that situation. Um, I wrote a chart that describes two dimensions. One is, um, um, do assets outperform cash or not? And the other dimension is, do um, does um, do bonds outperform equities? And I plotted using the models I used to evaluate this, where I think we are in the world. And it, it, it's consistent with, I think, what's happening globally um, post-COVID. And, uh, the U.S. led on the way in, both with stimulus and um, response and um, fiscal and monetary easing and, um, uh, you know, a full a full blown response. Um, and uh, now we're at the inflationary. We may be at near nearing the inflationary um, peak of that experience. Um China, on the other hand, and to a lesser extent, um, Japan, is um, really at the front end of that. Um, so, you know, if you just sort of look at your calendar and say, you know, where is China? And I would say China's in this, you know, the, in Q3 of 2021. And Q3 of 2021 resulted in, uh, you know, a fairly big equity outperformance relative to bonds. And um, I think that's you know, what we're going to see in Asia. Um, I've recently bought for um, Damp Spring um, some um, China equity exposure. That's a complicated trade given the rule of law issues. But it mm-hmm. does express this view that <coughs> cash is trash in China. Um, assets are good and um, equities in particular are best. Um, and when you go to Europe, um, they are, I would think, more like Q1 of 2022 in terms of their um, COVID uh, response. Now they have the war overhanging and the energy issues overhanging. So they're, you know, that's, it's a little different, but timing is different. But um, they are on the beginnings of their tightening phase. Um, They're not restrictive. 
And so at the time in November, I suggested you want to be long, um, you want to be short assets because they're at the beginning of their tightening mm-hmm. phase. And we know what 2022 did to assets in the U.S. when they started it, when we started our tightening phase. Um, but you do want to be long stocks relative to uh, bonds. And so, you know, if you look at DAX and um, and um, European stocks in general relative to bonds, it's been a massive win to be long stocks and short bonds in um, in Europe. And I think that trade probably has some legs. We'll see. You know, it might it'll dip and fade like anything else. But, you know, the fundamentals are we're at the beginning of our tightening phase. That's very bad for bonds, uh, but we're still stimulative. Um, we're still um, we're still not restrictive. And so that tends to be good for equities. So, you know, as I run around the globe, cash is trash in China. Cash is king in the U.S. and Europe. And um, equities are best in China and uh, equities are best in Europe and equities are probably worst in the U.S. Mm. Yeah, that's a great a great quadrant you have. And uh, yeah, your analysis of China, how much of it is occurs with, with the fundamental news? Oh, this official said this, uh, this policy is, is being rolled out. Are you just, you know, looking at the, the stock market, which has, you know, exploded higher the past two, two or three months? Or are you saying, uh, bonds, Chinese bonds have outperformed Chinese stocks over the past two years by such a large degree that, you know, it would be a six st- sigma deviation for it to continue. Therefore, I think stocks will over- outperform bonds. Or is it a mix of the all, a mix of all three? Yeah, I mean, you have to look at all those things. I would say that it's, you know, the transparency around the government bond market in China and the ability for anyone to access those markets makes me suspicious about taking much direction from, uh, and for that matter, investing in China. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart and I would never devote a significant port of my, well, not never today. I wouldn't devote a significant port of my portfolio to a a Chinese investment of any sort, but, um, I think the fundamentals are driving it, which is, um, there will be a natural, uh, growth impulse potentially stimulated by, um, fiscal policy, um, that will um, result in, you know, um, the same sort of dynamic that drove equities higher in the U.S. when we came out of COVID. Um, and uh, we'll see how it impacts inflation. I think there's many schools of thought on that in terms of, you know, which includes things like understanding the supply side. You know, there's a bull case for oil, which I don't happen to share um, for China, Um uh, reopening um, that ignores their storage. You know, uh, that's important. You have to look at both the supply and the demand. But from the demand side, mm-hmm. um, it seems like there would be um, excess demand for goods and services domestically. And at some level, an easing of supply um, as more production is able to be done by um, the Chinese as they come on, um, come back. Um which is, you know, globally deflationary. But, um, you know, I think the um, goods and services demand, the commodities demand, et cetera, is probably, um, you know, I I added up to slightly inflationary um, globally, but certainly good for stocks locally. Yeah, so good for uh, Chinese stocks. What about the impact on the European economy, American economy, and uh, Western stocks? Like, for example, if America is 
booming and buying a, a lot of uh, products. I presume that's you know pretty good for the Chinese economy. However, you know China uh, consumes far less of America's goods than America does of uh, 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 China's goods. And you know you can say, oh well, the price of copper is going to be good because China is embarking on again this infrastructure spending. But you know copper miners are like less than one percent of the S and P five hundred. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the impact on um, of China reopening is mild to the rest of the globe. Mm-hmm. In terms of their uh, asset markets, um, it, it's not zero, but it's mild. Um, and it just, as I said, you know, this is a whole the whole situation we have is that um, things are not coordinated globally right now, and so you're going to see some odd impacts um, on that. You know, just makes the doesn't make the policymakers anywhere job impossible. It just makes it more difficult, and so. Um, you know, a slight inflationary, global inflationary push, um, you know, might mean that, um, and, you know, with with an unknown um, amount and duration, just makes Jay Powell have to think differently about his um, reaction function at the margin. And, you know, those slight tweaks today have, you know, effects that last a long time. And so, again, it's just to me, it's just the controls are very difficult to make this plane land softly. And this is just another example of um, of what's different than um, when you have a global recession um, and then and all central banks are pulling it in the same direction. Mm. So, Andy, as we're uh, close to a close, I just want to say that uh, people can find your work at dampspring.com and on Twitter, you are at dampspring. One of my final questions for you, Andy, is why are you short gold and what are your views on other commodities? I think you hinted that you don't share the bull case uh, on oil. Yeah, so um, again, commodities and gold are part of a diversified portfolio. My objective was to have a portfolio. So my objective in life is to have a portfolio that is uh, collects risk premium for over the long term. This is what I like to have long, collects risk premium over the long term and is diversified against inflation um, and growth. So I don't have to pick inflation or growth. The 60-40 portfolio, for instance, is is extremely long growth relative to any other risk factor. And so I prefer when I'm long something um, to really just collect risk premium without making a bet on inflation and um, growth. Well, okay, what's that portfolio look like? And it looks like my damp spring beta. It looks like um, Harry Brown's um, permanent portfolio. It looks like Ray Dalio's all weather. It looks like, you know, it looks like a, a risperity portfolio of some sort. And, you know, you're short gold and, and um, you're sorry, when you go long that portfolio, you're long gold and you're long commodities because that's what the 60-40 doesn't have. But you're not long them because you have a view on gold and commodities. You're long them for balance. Not because they go up all the day, all the time. If if they went up all the time, everyone would own them. Um, you own them for balance. And so, uh, uh, when I look to be short, um, I also don't want to have a view on growth and inflation. And so, if the thing I'm long that I you know put my um, long term wealth in is balanced in this way, the thing I'm short, if I think all assets are going down, has to be the same thing. And so, yeah, that's the reason I'm short gold and and, um, commodities um, in this particular trade, which represents 
you know, is an unlevered. It represents 50% of my uh, capital in my alpha account. Um, and, you know, it's not the biggest trade I've ever had by a long shot. And uh, my risk is relatively low because my uncertainty is relatively high. Um, but that's the, I have no view on gold or actually, to be honest, I think it's getting a little rich, but you know, that's not why I'm short. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. sold it a lot lower um, for the balance. I sold commodities a lot higher for the balance, not because I had a view. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. I, I, and where do you say commodities fall within those four uh, outcomes of Fed pivot, soft landing, higher for longer and, and deep recession? Because we talked about how bonds and stocks do, but but not about commodities. Yeah. So growth is good for commodities. It's really very sensitive to growth um, because it's a demand asset. And it's um, probably of all the assets that I look at, it's probably the least sensitive to um, financial conditions and term premium. Um, in fact, spot shouldn't have any term premium at all. Um, so um, risk premium at all. Um, so, you know, it's pro-growth by and large. Now, it also can be in monetary, and I've written a bunch on this, so the different, you know, there's a lot of talk about whether gold is an inflation hedge, whether Bitcoin is an inflation hedge, whether commodities are an inflation hedge. And I think in all cases, those things are, in fact, fact an inflation hedge when the inflation is um, due to monetary, um, essentially printing. Mm-hmm. When it's due to demand that's self-supporting and people willing to lever up, um, it's... Um, it's less clear that it's a, a good hedge. Commodities are more reliable, but some of the other things may not be. Um, and when it's a supply shock, it's almost certainly not a hedge. Um, and so I've written a bunch of things on that. And I, I think that um, when it comes to commodities, uh, it's mostly about demand. And given the direction that monetary policy is heading, in some places, it's uh, um, easing, like China, but in other places, it's tightening, like the rest of the globe, by and large. Um, you know, that should be a um, sign that you know the the uh, you know fiat devaluing reason to own any of these things is not going to be a driver. So I look at pretty much as a growth thing, and so you know, the the longer that the real economy is strong the better commodities will do. And frankly, the pricing that we've seen over the last, you know, certain ones are odd, um, like copper, but the ones, the ones, the, certainly when you look at energy, and again, you know, you have to look at everything. It could be weather, but, um, which I can't trade. Um, the um, demand side is uh, falling um, with price, um, seems to be consistent with people expecting a recession. Mm. Uh, Andy, final question for you. You're a veteran of the uh, macro hedge fund industry. Macro hedge funds, uh, some of them had an extraordinarily good year, uh, posting returns in excess of 100%, which is you know truly stunning. Um, a lot of this was from being uh, short short stocks and bonds, but but you know, in particularly bonds because that's where the, the I guess the biggest uh, volatility uh, was. And I, so uh, you could say that uh, you know a lot of funds were short bonds, and it, and it worked. Um, uh, it was a trade that was very popular among macro hedge funds in 2022 and 2021. Didn't work as much in 2021. Um, what what would you say are the, the dominant uh, trade macro trades at the hedge funds uh, now? I mean, I, you know, I assume there's nothing approaching a consensus, but uh, you know, how many people you still think bonds are going to go down? Um, 
you know, and and uh, you know, is it possible that 2023 could be as good of a year for macro hedge funds as 2022, or, or no? Gosh, um, so I don't think um, so. I don't think it's a coincidence that um, when a market has had its worst year in all time, that you have a lot of people that were on the right side of that trade. Um, now, certainly long only weren't. So you don't see any of those guys writing headlines. Mm-hmm. Did all the hedge funds have um, short, you know, were they short the bonds in the worst environment ever? You know, a bunch were. Um, did they cover? Uh, looks like um, looks like Bluecrest actually covered um, and went long, um, probably around the same time that um, um, the UK uh, puke actually happened. They were short going in. My guess is they covered. And they're making money on both in both directions. Alpha is very, very hard. Um, I think the one thing that you should take away from high um, from hedge fund performance this year is that those who have um, who made money great. But what I really look for is somebody who can make money in an uncorrelated way. And so um, it's better to have a invest an an alpha investor who is uncorrelated to uh, long only as a portfolio. And so, you know, when I look at those, that's what I'm looking for. This is an, uh, this was, that was an extraordinary year. I certainly don't expect it this year. Right. But negative correlation is good. And, you know, when the 60, the negative correlation is good. And when 60, 40 portfolio has its worst year ever, you know, it's good to have an hundred percent year, right? It's not good if it's, you know, (laughs) I agree. Uh, Negative correlation is good, but if you have a, if it's perfectly negatively correlated, all you're doing is paying away your risk premium with transaction costs and fees. So you need uncorrelated. Now it happens to be good that it was a head that, that, you know, that if, so again, if, if, if hedge funds are making money when the market goes down and not losing it when the market goes up, that's a good investment. You want that. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, I, I have a, a few more questions about about beta, how you define it, carry trade stuff like that. But we'll we'll have to leave it for the next time uh, I have you on, which which I hope is soon. Any constant. Thanks so much for joining, and thanks so much for uh, everyone for watching. It's a pleasure. I would like to say one thing. If you notice this, um, my one gray beard is getting um, quite long. That's to support um, a new venture that uh, Nick Giovannik and I have launched called Two Gray Beards. Take a look at that at twograybeards.com. If you're a, um, um, an, a a wealthy investor who has found um, their, despite great effort by their uh, asset managers and financial advisors, that somehow you're not having good conversations, um, take a look at that website and join us to see if you would uh, benefit from um, our experience in having good conversations with financial advisors. Yes, definitely. Uh, Andy, thanks so much. Thanks, Jack.